Thank you for tuning in to the Blind and Business Podcast. everyone and welcome to the Blind and Business podcast. Uh, today we are joined by the wonderful Amelia. Um, so yeah, Amelia, do you mind telling us a bit about yourself? Hi everyone. So um, my name is Amelia. Um, I am an undergraduate and master's student. I'm also working part-time for the cabinet office and I've been there this month would be a year. I have an undergraduate in criminology and criminal justice studies, and I have a master's in criminal psychology. I completed my master's last year, and I was doing it for two years. So, and I was doing my master's with the University of Portsmouth via distant learning, because why not challenge yourself? Um, I also have a visual impairment. I was born partially sighted, I'm albino, so that comes along with it all. Um, and yeah, I've been working with um, Blind and Business for a while now. Do you mind, I guess, telling us firstly, like, why did you choose criminology? I've always been interested in the mind and why, pe- why people do the crimes that people do and the reasons behind why they do it. Um, so and investigating it and the dark side of like the mind, the behaviors. Um, so I thought, okay, this is something that I've always been interested in. There's a lot of reading I like to read. Um, it, it's not always easy reading, but you know, why I have a habit of making things very difficult for myself. So um, I thought, okay, why not do criminology? So um, I did, like I was saying before, my undergraduate in criminology and criminal justice studies. I was at a university in London. I did, I stayed, I was there studying part-time in the evenings and working part-time in the day. So that was quite interesting. Yeah, how did you find it? I found it challenging, not gonna lie. It was very challenging, but I managed to do it. So there was one time I was working for Sainsbury's and I was doing their online shopping. Um, so I was working for them 5 a.m. till 9 a.m. in the morning. Oh my God. So then I would come home, sleep, and then go to do studies in the evening from like six to eight or six to nine. So um, that was, I found that very challenging. It was hard work. Um, yeah, but it was okay. It was doable. Um, and then I was working for the Royal Marsden Hospital where I um, was doing like a job share. So I would finish at four and then leave and then go to university in the evenings. And then um, I was out of work for a while. And then I started working for the NSPCC. Um, and then that was nearer to the time that I was finishing university though, so the my undergraduate. So it became a little bit easier. And then um, finished that. And then I and then I started working for the prison as an operational support grade, so prison staff in 2019. And then I started working for the prison in, in August 2019. I started my master's in September 2019. But then obviously my master's was part-time and the prison working at the prison was full-time. 
So obviously I've never worked full-time before. It's always been part-time. So I had to think on my days, how am I going to manage part-time studying and working full-time? And obviously working in a prison, there was like the, um, the shift pattern and everything. So it just got to the point where I thought it was like affecting me. Like I wasn't studying as much as I wanted to because with the masters itself, I said to myself that my masters is, is important. Um, and I don't wanna give that up, but I also wanna work as well. So even finding my masters was, was, was interesting because I said to myself, I wanna push myself. How can I push myself? Let's look for universities outside of London. So I was looking at like, as well as the London one, like Kingston and South Bank, I was looking at like Lancashire University, Brighton, Sussex. Um, and then I saw the University of Portsmouth and I liked the, the support that they offered visually impaired students or just dis, um, people with disabilities in general. So I thought, okay. So I left, I stopped working for the prison in, 20, in November, 2019. And obviously like in 2020, the, pan, the pandemic hit. And obviously that wasn't my fault. COVID wasn't my fault. And I had to, that mentality that all oh my days, I'm out of work. What do I do? Yes, I have my master's. It, that should be enough. But I want, I'm not, wasn't used to be, out, wasn't used to being out of work. So it really affected my confidence. It really affected my self-esteem. I thought, is there, is it, I thought there was something wrong with me because I was never used to being out of work for so long. I've always had that, oh, okay, I'm out of work. I'll find work straight away. So within a month, I would be in another job or within two, like a month and a half, I'd be, so it's just getting used to that being out of work. Um, so it was a struggle during the pandemic, like with everybody, of course, but I was applying for nearly well, many jobs, like jobs that I never thought I'd really apply for. Um, and it was then during that 2020 period that um, I, it was a university, they were, they, one of the careers team, they sent me a flyer online of what Blind and Business were doing. They were holding an event talking about um, what they do as an organization. So obviously I'm interested in everything. So I contacted Chantelle who worked for Blind and Business and um, the rest is history. So we were just doing cover letters. She's been great. In fact, let me jump ahead. She is the reason, I will say this now. She is the reason why I have the job that I have at the moment. She Aww. was the one, yeah. And I will be forever grateful to her. The reason why I'm in this cabinet office job is because of her. She helped me with the supporting statement. We did interview techniques. We spent two days doing interview preparation, two days re researching the, the department that I'll be working for. So this job is, I'm in this job because of her. So yeah, in the pandemic, I was just like looking for everything, applying. Um, it was really, I'm like, and I was also studying as well. So I was like self-motivating myself, trying to encourage myself as well, because it wasn't easy at all. But then obviously the civil service job came along. Um, I applied, supported them. And then we, we spent like two weeks on it doing our, when that interview came, we did our own research. It was just, it was, it was <laughs> I don't take it for granted at all that I'm in the job now at all, because the way I got it was very, was was it was it was extremely hard um but the experience has taught just 
you don't the experience was a good experience though at, at the time you don't think it is but when you think about it it just helped you just develop yourself um but and helped you in terms of confidence as well um i finished my masters and everything um so when i started with um the cabinet office i started in june last year and i finished my masters in july slash august so it was only like a month I had of an of of a continuation with the masters, which was okay, but it was still a challenge as well because you're getting into a new job and you're finishing your doing your dissertation, so it's not always easy. But yeah, um, yeah. it's been an interesting. <laughs> I can I can imagine, um, and I mean I'm interested in what you're saying about kind of um, confidence, and I think it's an interesting point that when yeah. you're applying for jobs or when you're not in employment it's easy to kind of lose confidence in yeah. in yourself and your capabilities um how did you overcome that or, or what helped you overcome it so I think because I'm quite stubborn and um I'm quite determined as well I knew that a job is was going to come eventually um I knew that this wasn't it's you try to use this as a time to develop myself so work on my um supporting statement look for jobs outside of my comfort zone as well because I was applying I applied for jobs working for like um Frankie and Benny's and Nando's and those were not the jobs that I would have really have gone for but I thought you know what let me try and do something that gives me an opportunity to come into contact with people, takes me out of my comfort zone. Let me help me to do something different. And obviously, Frankie and Benny's, I, I like Frankie and Benny's, I like to eat. So discounts, you never know, you might. <laughs> um, so it was it was quite tough. And it and it every, most times it was like, oh my days, is is a job gonna be, is a job coming? And so it's just like pushing and pushing and I have a good support network around me. And when I felt like giving up, I would just reach out to someone like friends, family, and they would just be such a massive support. So sometimes you just need that push because sometimes you're just like, I can't do this. I, I'm also interested. Can you like, can you tell us a bit more about your albinism and how yeah. yeah how it's affected you and and yeah, yeah. your experience um, so I was born I'm one of four I'm the eldest of four so I'm the only one who's albino I'm Nigerian I was born here my parents were born in Nigeria so I am black but I don't look black people would think I'm white but my siblings are black but yeah when I say it out loud it sounds like I'm saying I'm not black <laughs> but I am um, so it's been really challenging from growing up. It's been really difficult. And the way I am now, it's really only by like the grace of God that I'm here because it's just it's really been really difficult. Like growing up, having a visual impairment, being albino, having to deal with bullies and everything and battling through life and life's issues and people and everything. So it's been tough, but obviously um, 
family have been great. I've never been treated any different in my family. Like, you know, um, the support has always been there. I've never been made to feel like, oh, okay, well, you are different. I think now though, um, when you think about it, everything that I've gone through now, it happens for a reason, because if I hadn't gone through all of that, I wouldn't be able to do all these speaking events now that I'm doing. I'm using this as an opportunity to tell my story with you guys. I've done speaking events with Scope. I've done things with like the BBC and everything. So it's given me that platform to be able to share my story. Yes, I have a visual impairment. Yes, I'm albino, but it doesn't make me different from anybody else at all. It's just gonna maybe take me longer. So it's, it's having that conversation. And if I can start it and then it has that ripple effect, it can then continues, then that's important to me. So that went down really well. And I was really proud of myself because again, it's all about building confidence and everything. I will, I'm not that kind of person that's like, oh, my confidence is great. It's, it's a gradual process. Um, but being albino, it's, it has its advantages. It has its disadvantages. Being visually impaired has its advantages. Is it disadvantages? Like, so um, with my albinism, when it comes to the summertime, I might as well just stay inside because it affects my um, my sight a lot, especially the sun. It's like the sun. Um, it affects obviously my skin. I just have to be very very careful when I'm out. I think with my with the negative side of things is that you just have to be so aware of. I have to be constantly aware of my skin. Because even in the winter time where you think, oh yeah, everything's okay, but it gets darker um, earlier. So that then also affects my eyesight, my skin, the, the, when the winter time, it also affects my skin as well. So it's just like, not a battle, because I don't see it as a battle, but it's that constant thing, that constant like, um, I don't know what the word to use, but it's just, it's just constantly having to, something's always constantly happening. Yeah. Um, regarding my visual impairment though, I was born visually impaired. There's nothing I can do about that. It's going to be with me for the rest of my life, but I've used it to my advantage and I'm proud to say it. I'm proud to be visually, visually impaired. In work though, it's, it's been a struggle regarding my visual impairment, but not within the recruitment process. I've never had an issue within the recruitment process. I've always being so upfront so honest about like yeah I have a visual impairment yeah so okay um it's in the jobs so there was an organization that I worked for and um obviously they knew that I have I I have a visual impairment but the way that they my especially my manager they were treating me it they would it would seem as if they just didn't like me at all I was doing a job share and I was based and I was supposed to be on duty and reception. And there's a just one standard size computer. And I said, oh, um, I need to change the settings. I need, I might need a different monitor screen. But my manager was like, no, we can't give you a new monitor screen. We have to think about everybody else. So they um. <laughs> so they basically dismissed the fact that. I need the support and be like, you just have to manage basically. Now, it then started to affect my work. It then um, caused me to become 
um, very anxious, very, it caused me stress. It started to affect my health and everything because every day I was coming into work and knowing full well that the support wasn't there. How can I do my job if you're not putting the measures in the adjustments in place? And then my work is affected because it's not being done. And then I'm having, and then meetings every week I'm having with my manager. And then she's like asking, okay, well, this hasn't been done. This hasn't been done. Um, you, you do realize that you're still on like probation. But I'm trying to explain to her, it can't be done because I can't see, I need the support. Um, access to work got involved. They basically told her she needs this, this, this. It still wasn't put in place. Oh my gosh. So, I had to take minutes in meetings. I had to, there was a lot of um, documents that needed to be, um, I need to use a lot of um, Excel spreadsheets and Word documents and they needed to be enlarged. And it would take, even when I was enlarging things, she would tell me, she would have a go and tell me that I shouldn't be enlarging this because you need to think about everybody else. It got to the point where my contract wasn't extended. So there, so she was like, oh, we need to, what we're going to do is give you a three months extra probation then we will take it from there and I was like so I have to go through all of this again knowing full well that the support isn't going to be there so I was like and it started to affect my health I was becoming very stressed out um I wasn't eating because oh, no. I was so stressed because of the meetings because we would have a meeting talking about the same thing and I would tell you how can I the support is not there so and then I end up having I end up I ended up resigning and getting a doctor's note saying I can't come back because it was just really affecting me and it took me a while to just get my confidence back again it took me a while to just because I thought why wouldn't they put I didn't ask I wasn't asking them for much it was it was really bad it was really bad and then I um was working at the prison and they were fine. Um, but obviously I left because only because of um, the, um, the shift pattern and everything. But they were, they, were, they were great in terms of adjustments and stuff. Um, so that was, that was fine. And then when I started working for the cabinet office, I'm telling you from now, I've never experienced so much support in terms of my disability I've never in in a job I've never it's just been so great from the very beginning that I started they have been excellent when it came to the interview I just met, said I said to the recruitment team oh because it was online so I was like oh I have a visual impairment which they knew anyway um it may not seem like I'm looking at the um looking in at the camera but I am it's just because of my sight so they were like that's fine they'll just let the team know from the very, from the moment I started working, they were just they my, my my manager was like, if there's anything you need, just let me know. And it's all about working with your manager as well. And because of the previous experience that I've had, I was so hesitant to ask for the support. Like luckily I was working from home and getting the working from home equipment. I had, so I would this, I would tell them, oh, okay, this is the things that would need. They would obviously you have to tell them why you would need them because anyone can say they need a large monitor size screen. Why do you need that? So I would tell them why I need this and fine. Within like two weeks, it was all sorted. No additional questions asked at all. 
and it was just so great and then my colleague my manager was like when he sent me an email and he was like you know if you wanted me to I could send an email to the rest of the team just saying like could all emails be sent in bold size 16 if you would like that and I was like yes please that ne that's never happened before now that's it every email that they send is like that even if they've there's been times where they've forgotten and what they've done is resent the email and then in the in the email they said oh sorry Amelia I forgot to do this and this so if they forget mm. it's not the end of the world I'm not gonna like be like oh you should remember because obviously people forget things and it's 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 fine but the fact that they made an effort I was just it will always it will always like just be I'm just I'm just grateful um because obviously I have to go back into the office and all that I had another meeting with occupational health regarding getting a rep, uh, replica of what I have at home in the office. So I was like saying to them, oh, this is what I have. And they were like telling me the kind of things that um, I could, might be interested in. My manager was part of that meeting. He was like saying, oh, if there's anything she needs, I just want to work with her to fight, to work, to like give her the things that she needs. And we had our own meeting and I was explaining to him like the issues that I've had before and how the fact the small things, the things that you guys are doing now, it really makes a difference to me. Um, I'm really grateful. I've had nothing but support, really. I've just had, it's just been so great. What I'm saying is I, this is the experience that I've been through to show, to show other people that yes, organizations are like this but there are organizations like the cabinet office who will support you who the civil service who will give you that support i'm probably being biased but the everyone should work for the civil service because <laughs> their, their like process is just great so yeah <laughs> um but i think also it's working with your management your your team as well my i'm i'm very fortunate enough to be able to have a good support network in, in terms of my team i know the things that i can do i know what i'm capable of i know that my roles i only work two days a week and i'm able to fit in so many things so if i'm struggling with something i will let my team know i'll be like we for example i i have to um do timetables create timetables and the lining for the timetables are quite difficult to see if it needs to be changed so i will speak to my colleague and be like oh can you i'm just struggling with something can i, I need to create the timetable but can you just change the um, lining for me and then that's fine um i think when if you that mentality that mentality of um oh I have something to prove to everybody. If I had used that mentality, I wouldn't be here today because it's like, I'm doing it for other people. I'm not doing it for myself. Everything that I have done, what I want to do is do it for myself as well as support other people as well. So um, I'm sure there are things, there's, I'm still struggling. Like my, I'm, do, I'm doing my qualification to become a solicitor and that's not easy. So no. and things are quite small online um and everything so trying to manage that but it's doable i just think that um and i understand as employees yeah <laughs> we have to work with our employers as well because it's 
they don't know. I was fortunate enough, and, I, and this is only because of the speaking event that I did for the cabinet office, to speak to a manager regarding one of her, um, one of her colleagues. She was telling me that her colleague is blind and she doesn't really know how best to support her. She obviously wants to support her, but she doesn't know how to. And she want, so that's why she was reaching out to me because she, she knew, she was aware that I did the speaking event for the disability network. So I said to her, the fact that you're reaching out and you've actually said, I need the support, I need to know how I can best support her. You, you should be proud of yourself because not many managers will take that step to be like, I'm struggling. I'm not, it wasn't, not that you're struggling like, oh, I can't do this, but you need that support. I said to her, you need to work with um, your colleague. You need to sit down and speak to her and find out, okay, how can she, what kind of support does she need? Because you may think that she needs certain support, but in reality, she doesn't. Now, she was telling me how, um, she meets her every morning and they go to work together. She guides her by the arm. I said, that's all good and everything. But then what about when you're not there and when you're not there, when you're, if you're sick, if you go away, who's going to support her there? So I said, working for, working with um, access to work, working with like the civil service, um, the disability network, working with the um, reasonable adjustment team. So they can put measure, they can put adjustments in place and you getting the support you need as well, because it it has, you're her manager, yes, but, and you wanna keep that relationship, but you don't also want it to become complicated. Like um, you're doing, you're doing too much for her and everything because she's, she's, she's come, she's able to do her job because if she wasn't, you wouldn't have employed her. No, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of really interesting things you've just said. Um, and I think like the example that you just gave about um, some like a manager coming up to you and asking you, I think that's such a good thing. Like I, I have done internships in the past where people have been scared to ask me what adjustments I need and what support I need. And then because they're scared, I feel like a lot of people are quite scared of talking about disability because they yeah. don't want to offend someone and then because they are scared to ask then the support doesn't get put in place or they don't understand how they can help you um so I guess that's also probably a good thing to do as visually impaired people yeah. to be able to like advocate for yourself and your needs and not be shy about like what thing, you need yeah. I me I think maybe when it comes to reasonable adjustment, sometimes I don't even know what I need. Yeah. The reasonable adjustments team, when it came to knowing the stuff for going back into the office, they were the ones that suggested these things. I didn't know what most of the, what they were suggesting until they suggested it. So I don't have a problem people saying, oh, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Because that's fine by me. Um, so I, it's, it's, you having to work with other people, the management, I understand why employee employers might be, might find it difficult to speak to people with disabilities because of per, maybe experiences they've had in the past. So I think there needs to be that 
it needs to be that maybe that person in the middle that spokesperson who could do it on their behalf so they should employ that person that representative so that they can represent the organization for people who have a disability so if the manager not saying that the manager won't speak to the the person with a disability at all but there I understand why I see I understand it from both sides because it's not it's not always easy like like for people with disabilities they've had bad experiences and everything so they don't want to talk to in like their employers because maybe of negative experiences but how can people support you if they don't know how to yeah so, yeah no, definitely. And I guess that's also something that Blind and Business can help people with. Um, yeah. If you are having a difficult time with your employers, um, yeah. you can contact us and we can yeah. we, we can help discuss with them the kind of support. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, do you mind telling us, I mean, you've talked a little bit about your... Um, your role but do you mind telling us a bit more about your your day-to-day um and some tips for anyone who would want to enter the civil service cabinet office so um my role i manage and run virtual assessment centers online so i have to debrief candidates um brief candidates in the morning as well, make sure that they're in their virtual rooms and everything, just monitor it, deal with any like technical issues, um, speak to assessors, speak to moderators, liaise with like my team itself. I have, there's a lot of administration, like um, sending reminder emails, sending like links for rooms, sending um, joining instructions, and then I have to create timetables, um, allocate like assessors to the timetables and everything. Um, so I work two days a week, and um, but at the moment, obviously, I'm working from home until probably like the end of June, July, and then I'll go into the office like one day a week or something um, when I'm not like day managing because when you're day managing, you run and manage assessments and it's online. So that one I would do at home. Um, my team are great, like they've been very supportive and I can't thank them enough. Um, one of my my manager said to me at one time, you know, in your, e in your signature, you can put at the bottom, could you please respond to emails in large font? I didn't even know you could do that. So I did that and it's been great. Now, if someone wants to send me an email and it wasn't, wouldn't be in, a, in the, the right font, I'm not gonna send them an email back saying, oh, sorry, you forgot to put it in the, I'll just read it. And then when I reply, I'm going to, all my emails that I send are bold, like size 14, 16. Yeah. So like, you don't, if you don't see that part where I've said it in the signature, it's not an issue for me. So, so um, when it comes to the civil service jobs, my advice would to be do your research and make sure you get the if make sure you spend time with the supporting statement because supporting statements are difficult and every there, there's a lot of competition especially if you're applying for somewhere like cps cabinet office um, ministry of justice there's a lot of competition 
even if you're not applying for jobs within the civil service and you're applying for jobs like with the Met Police, the NHS, still spend that time because again, there are um, there's competition. So the cabinet office role, I spent, like I said before, I spent two weeks on it. The supporting statement, um, there was a lot of, I had to, they have their competency-based questions and they're looking for certain things. So you have to make sure that what you're saying matches up to what they're asking of you and just proofread time and time and time again. Um, get the support, get someone to have a look at the supporting statement. Um, the closing date says the 1st of July. Send it, don't send it on the 1st of July. If you send it like the day before or even a couple of days before, because the closing, it, the, the, the date could close early. You need to give yourself so much time. So give yourself, if you can give yourself a month, give yourself a month, but if give yourself two weeks if need if needs be. It's just very important that you spend a lot of time on it. And then when you get your interview, do your preparation. I spent, like I said, I spent two days preparing for my cabinet office role. We did the research about the department. We did the research about the cabinet office because I knew about the civil service, but I didn't know too much about the cabinet office. So I needed to do my own research and everything. Um, you think you know about the cabinet office, but in reality, you don't. So <laughs> what I thought I knew, obviously, um, I needed to know even more. So, and they may not even ask you these things, but it's still good to know. So, and then just you, after the interview, this is what I do. After the interview is done, I forget about it because I don't let it play on my mind because I've got probably other application forms that I need to be doing. And it's done now. So just, you just have to just try not to remember it. Well, yeah. try not to focus more on it because you've got other things to do. But um, yeah, when it comes to jobs like those, even if you're applying for um, retail jobs, jobs in um, like supermarket jobs as well, still spend the time applying because there's competition everywhere. And look at the job advert properly. It's not always about the money. Sometimes you have to, because you could the money could be great and the job could be good as well, but the supporting statement and what they're asking you for, do you have enough experience? Can you read, can you reach the word count? The word count is there for a reason. If it's 250 words and you're only able to get 150, you need to write more. If it's two, if it's 250 words, then you should aim to have over 200 words. If you have less, there's a problem. And it needs to flow, it needs to make sense. You need to talk about yourself, not what I have. This is what Chantel from Blinded Business has, has been teaching me. What was um, better now, before I was always talking about what other people are doing instead of myself. You know, the supporting statements, you have to talk about what you did. I was busy talking about what somebody else did. So when you work as, in a team, I will talk about what my team makes are doing and not myself so um, he taught me to talk about they want to know what you did how you made the change how you did um, manage the system and everything so it's just important to read the question really well read the job advert um, 
and be 80% confident that you can apply for, that you can do the job. 80%, yeah. Sometimes I'm not like, uh, sometimes it may say, oh, you need to take minutes. Before I would just like, oh, if I see that, I would just not apply. Yeah. But like everything else I could do. So like, don't be scared about, take, come out of your comfort zone. Don't be scared. So there's jobs that I'm applying now for like case manager, um, um, litigation assistant, jobs that I didn't think I would be able to do. But now because of that confidence, because of that support, I'm able to apply for jobs that I never thought I'd apply for, like HR manager, HR assistant. So, yeah. Um, can I also just ask, so you're talking about experience and stuff. Um, and I know from when I was applying to job, if you don't have much experience, it can be hard to, yeah. Um, yeah, to basically sell yourself if you don't necessarily have the experience, even though you know you can probably do it. So what advice do you have for people who are, are really starting out in their career? Um, yeah, and okay. who don't have that much experience. So when I worked for Sainsbury's as like their online shopper, I didn't have any experience at all working in a supermarket, none at all. I know how to shop, but none at all. So the fact that I had people skills and that worked in my favor, I'm always talking to someone. So the fact that I was able to find things very quickly and the fact that I've kind of done processing of things in other jobs, it worked in my favor. So if the job is asking you for specific experience and you don't feel that you have it, you can't lie because you get caught up in the interview and voluntary work is very important as well. So I would suggest that you do as much voluntary work as you can because there's voluntary opportunities out there and it builds up confidence as well. And start off doing, maybe even start off maybe doing like jobs in like retail, work for Morrison's, work for Sainsbury's, Tesco's, that will help you develop because they need custom, it's customer service. You have to do like maybe do with the machines and everything. So those kind of, and you have to do with like if, if there's if challenging behaviors or if there's issues and stuff. So those kind of roles will prepare you for the roles like in the cabinet office and everything and the, the, the probation service and everything. So it, it all depends on the role that you're looking for. Also, don't be afraid to put your disability on the, on the application form because they need you more than you need them because it looks good on them if they, are, they, are, they have someone who's blind, who have someone who's deaf in their organization because you can do your job but you also happen to be deaf, but you also happen to be blind as well. So they need you as well as you need them. And do your research because you may think, oh, why don't I work for, um, I don't know, Debenhams. Why don't I work for them? Um, but do you know what working for them involves? Do you know, do you, what do you, what, why do you want to work there? So it's like doing your, doing your research that I know that there's certain jobs that I wouldn't apply for because of my sight. So for example, I'm not gonna become an air hostess <laughs> because of my sight. I'm not gonna become a pilot 
or a bus driver. So even if I wanted to, so for example, I've seen there's jobs that I've seen is it with the home office and um, I think it's with um, border force and you need to have like when it comes to driving license, jobs with driving licenses, there's some jobs that I thought, oh my days, the border officer, I may well have wanted to apply for that, but it said you need a license. And I don't drive because of my sight, so I haven't been able to apply. Now, don't get offended. People shouldn't become offended if they say, oh, you have to have a license. It's the nature of the role. It's like me working in the airport and being doing the cargo, and they say you need to have a driving license. Well, I can't apply then. So um, it's just doing your research and making sure that you can do the role and just um, asking, contacting the recruitment team if needs be. There's times where I've had to contact the recruitment team. Yeah, I think it just gives me an opportunity to talk to somebody. So, <laughs> um, No, I think that's a good point about like kind of knowing about, yeah, what, what you can and can't do. But also, I think you mentioned it earlier and also, I kind of had this experience as well of sometimes there will be things on the job description like for example for me I was applying for jobs and it was asking you to like be able to proofread which I can't really do with the visual impairment very well yeah. um but then I was speaking to James about it and he was like apply anyway there are certain things that, that you should still apply for because yeah. things like that can be, you can ask your colleague to do. There's been times where I would I want to apply for a job and I didn't because maybe um, I'm a bit like, oh my days, I know this application is going to take so long. Um, maybe I don't have enough experience. So, and then you start doubting yourself. But if you believe all jobs are there's a lot of competition in all jobs anyway so if you believe that you can do it maybe you just need to get some advice oh you want to apply for this job but you're not sure if someone says oh no i don't think you should don't have a go you're the one that asked for the opinion and the advice <laughs> but um yeah i've there's been times where i've seen a job me i'm only looking for part-time roles at the moment because look at everything else I'm doing <laughs> so at the moment. I yeah. Work so there's been jobs that I haven't been able to apply for because they're full time, and um, and maybe even if they were part time, if I was looking for a job, I'm mostly looking what they're asking of me because I know that I've got so much going on. If the job description is like half a page long, can I really do all of that? in the short space, in the maybe like the two, three days that they're asking of me to work. Because as well as that, I'm then still doing my solicitor qualifications, I'm still doing my um, voluntary work. So it depends on you really. Yeah, can you tell us a bit more about your voluntary work? Okay, um, so as well as all the speaking events that I do and stuff, <laughs> I'm doing voluntary work for the Samaritans. So um, I started in February with the Samaritans. And um, I mean, it's like, it's very, very challenging, but it's very rewarding as well because I don't use the phones. They have an online 
tech support, chat support. So it's like kind of like you, they have the, the people, they use an app to speak to someone. So it's like a WhatsApp conversation. So for people who don't want to use the phones, they can use the app instead. So I like go into like the branch and then obviously you do it from there. Um, it is interesting because obviously Samaritans, they is all about like riding emotional support and maybe a person on, the, on who you're chatting with is suicidal. So having that conversation about suicide and obviously that conversation about suicide is not the conversation that I'm used to having on a day-to-day -day basis. So no. training myself and going through the training and actually starting that conversation, I now can. Before, I was very hesitant to be like, okay, so, you know, I was beating around the bush, not talking about it, but still trying to talk about it. But now you... I can have that conversation and it really I decided to apply because I know what it feels like to feel like you don't have someone to speak to I know what it feels like to feel like nobody's listening so and the fact that yeah it's it's a good organization and they've really supported me in the past so I wanted to give something back I feel I'm in a good place to do it um, there's so much support for the volunteers itself. You get your own buddy, you get your own Samaritan and all of that stuff. Um, so, and the training was, it's, it's really, it's, it's life-changing because it's all about listening. I know how to listen and I know how to just let you speak. Sometimes people don't want advice. So it's all about listening to what they have to, well, not listening, I was just say, reading what they have to say and trying to work out, first of all, if the person is like underage, trying to work out if they are suicidal and trying to read between the lines. And I know how to ask questions. I know how to read between the lines. I know how to ask a question without answering. I know how to answer questions without um, being too much in your face. Um, so it's about me giving something back as well. And that's always important to me and making a difference. I can't save everybody. And I'm doing this just to, just to support someone. Yeah. I do it like once a week and everything. So there's different shifts. So I do like six to 8 PM. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's fun. I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word to use. But yeah, I do it and <laughs> you talk to talk to you you communicate with the different types of people and it helps you with confidence as well and you 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 see when they say like thank you in the end and everything and you debrief with your um the leader that's in charge at the end of the day when you're done your shift and I feel very like calm. There's no, I haven't, I'm sure there'll be, I'm not saying, oh, I'm always gonna be fine. But when it, if it gets to that stage where I'm like, oh my days, what am I doing? Then uh, there's someone to talk to. It's just a place that you can tell them about, you can speak to your, your leader, your, the fellow Samaritans and not feel judged. So yeah, I do, I do 
enjoy it if you can say enjoy it yeah but it's also challenging as well the speaking events that I do that takes up not takes up time like it's a bad thing because it gives you something to do but it gives me more to do as well um it fits in with everything that I'm doing because of the the part-time work that I do and I'm being able to help others so yes yeah um amazing and my last question is <laughs> what is something that you wish you knew earlier that everything was going to be okay if I were like growing up and having to go through um being like bullied and everything knowing that okay this is preparing you for what you're going to be talking about now you're going to be speaking and doing events and making a difference and you have a platform so yeah so and not to be too hard on yourself because I put a lot of pressure on myself so yeah what is one thing that you want kind of listeners from today to take away from listening to this don't be afraid to ask for help um know that you've come this far for a reason you are special yeah you are special because you're unique and you were born to make a difference and if I can do it you can oh amazing <laughs> thank you so so much Amelia it's been great having thank you on you. and thank for you for you. listening to the podcast everyone <laughs>